much. Praise the Lord. Are you ready today for the word? Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Why Pentecost? Well, it's a feast of the Jews, yes, in the Old Testament, but forever changed with the New Testament era because the first Pentecost after Jesus rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit came in fullness of power to indwell anyone and everyone that would allow him to come in fullness into their lives. And when that happened on uh, the day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2, they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We followed the procession through the book of Acts again and again. When people were filled with the Spirit, they spoke in tongues. Right on up to the present day where many of us in this room have experienced the same thing. It's real. It is so beneficial and such a blessing when you understand what you received and some of the uses of it, how beneficial and powerful it is. No wonder Jesus said, in, as we looked at last time in John 16 and John 14 and those scriptures where he was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's no wonder that he let, let his people know that it would be better for them that he would go because then the Holy Spirit would come. They probably didn't understand what he meant by that. That, that doesn't really make a lot of sense when you read the Gospels. Uh, I just recently began going back through the four Gospels reading from the Amplified Bible. And you know the Amplified Bible... Uh, the main uh, uh, translation of it was done by a woman. So that's why it has so many words. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Lord, he will, sister, he will, praise the Lord. But, um, but anyway, it's, it's very good, very good. And uh, so what we see is as you read, you can understand how they would think, how in the world am I going to be better off with you gone, Jesus? But he knew that when he left, the Father would send the Holy Spirit to be another comforter, not a different comforter, but another one just like it. There was a time when I was younger, and um, uh, I, I, I used a very small Bible, with very small print. I really liked it. It was so compact, and uh, I could see it without glasses or reading glasses or anything like that. And... Uh, and I would, and they were bond. It was bonded leather. It, that was the downfall of it. It wasn't, you know, full leather. It was bonded. So after you used it a while, of course, that that outside uh, little thin veneer of leather came off, and so I would have to buy new ones. And I remember when I found out that the publisher didn't even exist anymore, and there were no more. And uh, I had actually bought an extra one because I liked it so well. It was so easy to use. And, uh, and then the Lord led me to give it away to a preacher who used the same thing. That was costly. <laughs> uh, and so anyway, uh, when I look at those old ones, I can't read them without glasses. So, so I just uh, moved. I moved on up. I moved on up. But anyway, uh, what my point is, each time I would get another one, it would be another just like the other. The, the leather might be a different color. But the basic book was, was there. So I knew which side of the page to look for stuff. 
You know, I knew where things basically about where they were. So it's very handy. So when Jesus said, I'll send you another comforter, he was saying, I'm sending somebody just like me. Somebody just like me. And so that says to us that everything, please say everything. Everything Everything that Jesus was to the disciples, the Holy Spirit is to you today. Actually, it's Jesus still being Jesus through the Holy Spirit covering the whole body of Christ. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. So, you know, we've taken a number of weeks to uh, study the Spirit-filled life, really uh, focusing on the personal aspect, you being filled with the Holy Spirit to overflow, and some of the benefits and uses of speaking in tongues and praying in tongues and things like that. And so what we're beginning to do is to transition to the aspect of looking at what a Spirit-filled church looks like what a a Pentecostal church should be. Now, you know, when I say Pentecostal, a lot of people have different ideas about it. In some circles, when you say Pentecostal, they think you're talking about a non-Trinitarian oneness Pentecostal. Well, we're not that. Uh, Sometimes when you say Pentecostal, people think you're talking about uh, some very old-fashioned group that believes all the women have to not ever cut their hair, they can't wear slacks, and they can't wear makeup. I'm glad I'm not in that church. I mean, uh, just for the looks sake. I mean, uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, even a house needs paint. (laughs) Hallelujah. So so anyway, uh, how many of you are glad for makeup? I mean, good makeup costs you money, guys, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Praise the Lord. This is my Mother's Day message. Amen. We want to keep mom looking good. There is no romance without finance. So we want their t- toenails to shine. We want their fingernails to shine. We, we, you know, we want the whole nine yards. And if you don't even know what her hair color is after all these years, that's okay too. <laughs> At least she's got hair. Praise the Lord. Doing better than some of us. But anyway... <laughs> I don't know where we get off on all of that stuff. But uh, uh, the Pentecostal, you know, the Pentecostal church. Of course, some people, you know, they have all their different ideas of what Pentecostals are. Some people think we're all pretty much ignorant hayseeds. You know, that uh, all we do is, is uh, dance and shout. All we do is make big noises. Everybody beats on tambourines and runs around the church all the time. And, you know, uh, I, I personally... I only want a tambourine when it's a part of the percussion section, when somebody practices and does it right. And Nick says amen. You know, it is an instrument. And if you're going to play an instrument, you need to be a part of the team. Well, I've found out over the years that when you find out what, how many hours it takes to practice and how many trips it takes to come to the church and how all that coming early to church is part of the team, a lot of people just say, well, I don't want to do that. But a lot, and so, you know, sometimes when, when there's no real good order and there's no discipline in churches, people just have a free-for-all. Well, that's kind of what people think all Pentecostal churches are like. That all Pentecostal preachers are, are uh, you know, eighth-grade dropouts and, and uh, you know, that, that, that everybody just really has no sense and they misinterpret all kinds of scriptures and they only preach one or two messages over and over again. That's not what we're talking about. 
And I don't know why I had to go through all of that. Maybe somebody needed to hear that this morning. But you know, you can be wise, you can be educated, you can be smart, and be Pentecostal. As a matter of fact, it's one of the smartest things you'll ever do with your life, is to live a Spirit-filled life. And so a Pentecostal church is a church that is uh, filled with the Spirit corporately. We come individually full, but then when we are gathered together, there is a corporate anointing. There is a greater measure of power because the synergies that are created when all of these people come together, it just creates an atmosphere for the miraculous. Amen? So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we will reread a few verses that we read last time. That was two weeks ago because of our special meetings last week. So we'll take a moment to, to uh, catch ourselves up to where we need to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts or things pertaining to and of the Holy Spirit, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now you know the Holy Spirit himself was inspiring Paul to write this. And so this is a word of the Lord to us. God is saying to us here today, May the 8th, Mother's Day, 2022, at Freedom Word Church, as a church and to each individual person, God is saying, I do not want you to be ignorant of the things of the Spirit. I don't want you to not know, and this is important, he says, I don't want you to ignore it. You know, the only thing you're ignorant of is what you ignore. I'm, I'm ignorant of astrophysics. I'm ignorant of nuclear power. I'm ignorant of lots and lots of things, but I'm not stupid. But there are things I choose not to Google. There are things, books that I would choose not to read. I don't have time. That's not my area. That's not what I'm called to do. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I ignore certain things. And I'm glad other people do. I'm glad people know how to fix cars. Because if you have a car problem out here this afternoon, I'm sorry, but I'm the wrong guy. I mean, I could come and look at it. And I could pray, but I, I can't. I, that's about it. So there are things that we are uh, ignorant of uh, by choice. And so you've got to be careful about 1 Corinthians 12.1 because there are a lot of people who are ignorant of the things of the Spirit by choice. They choose not to listen. They choose not to study. They choose not to hear because they don't want to deal with that. Revivals are messy. Holy Ghost meetings sometimes get messy. There are no perfect people and there are no perfect churches. So when the Holy Spirit comes in, sometimes some things get exposed. Sometimes things get showed, shown for what they are and sometimes they need to be corrected. And sometimes it's just people are people. And God uses those that will yield to him. But don't be ignorant of spiritual things. Then over in verse 31, same chapter, last verse. He says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. You know, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians is on purpose sandwiched between chapters 12 and 14. That was the Holy Spirit's pattern because the love chapter, the love motivation is the more excellent way. That's the great motivator for wanting to have a Holy Ghost service, a Spirit-filled life, and a Spirit-filled church. And one of the reasons it's the great motivator is because love does what's best for other people, even at our expense. 
And so it's best for other people that you're full of the Spirit, that you know how to pray, that you are yielded to and open to the gifts of the Spirit operating. Because there are things in life that won't change without the supernatural. There are a lot of things you can't fix just by intellectual power. You can't fix just by physical activity. I mean, you can eat the best diet that you, that you know of. And of course, by the way, in two years, somebody will say, that's not the best diet. You shouldn't have done that. There's another way. You know how that works? But you can do the best you know how in the physical. And still there are going to be things that you're going to need a miracle for. There's all kinds of people sick, and they don't know what they did to get sick physically, and maybe they didn't do anything physically. It may actually be, not always, but it might be a spirit of infirmity. And you know, if you're afraid of the Holy Spirit, you're doubly afraid of devils. And so there are churches where people do have spirits of infirmity. They carry them around with them everywhere they go. They bring them to church every Sunday. They pet them. They talk about them. They don't call them spirits. They don't know that they are many times. But they just think it's incurable. I can't get rid of it. It's the way it is. I'm going to have to live this way. And they think actually that that's God's will for them. You see, I'm just kind of going way out there because I want you to see how important it is not to be ignorant spiritually and that we need to desire things of the Spirit, the best gifts. What's the best gift? The one needed the most. And then there are other levels of gifts within the various categories that we'll get to in good time. Now let's go over to chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Pursue love. So he's just got through talking about it. Pursue love. Go after love. Make it your great quest, we might say. And desire spirituals. The word gifts italicized, meaning the translators added it. It includes gifts, but it includes all the things of the Spirit because more than just gifts are being talked about in this section of Scripture. But he says, desire spirituals or things pertaining to and of the Holy Spirit, but especially that you may prophesy. And he gives reasons for that. We'll, we'll get to that in due course as well. And then over in verse 40, the last chapter of this, I mean the last verse of this chapter, he says, let all things be done decently and in order. Now, for some reason, people think that that 40th verse means don't have any move of the Spirit. Don't do anything. Just kind of, you know, go to church, sing your three hymns, give your, your offering, and preacher preach maybe 25 minutes, 30 tops, because we are hungry and we got things to go do and places to go. And, uh, you know, that's church. We got it out of the way. There's 168 hours in the week. I've just probably spent two hours, maybe three total, getting up, getting ready, getting to church and getting out of church and getting back home. And now I'm kind of free for the rest of the week. Let's partay. You know, do whatever you want. Talk however you want, live however you want, drink what you want, smoke what you want, live the way you want, cheat, lie, steal, whatever. I know that you don't do that, and not everybody does that. But there are people that that's kind of the way they live, and they think, well, I've got that covered. You know, one thing I noticed about when I moved to Central Virginia, because of the Calvinist influence in Central Virginia, very strong, not necessarily 
to the point of Reformed Calvinism, although that has some uh, more stronghold now than it used to. But the basic Calvinistic system in central Virginia that has so permeated this whole region for so many decades, one thing I noticed after being here is that nobody is lost. (laughs) Everybody you meet is a Christian. And everybody who dies goes to heaven. How many of you know that's really not true? I know we don't want to hear it. But it's not true. Oh man, did I just open a can of worms. I really did. But you see, Billy Graham, who was a soft Calvinist himself, of course, but he made this statement. Now, how could you disagree with Billy Graham? I mean, there are people who, who, who literally, they disagree with Jesus, but they don't disagree with Billy Graham. <laughs> Billy Graham made the statement. He said, you can't get people saved until you get them lost. He was talking about preaching. You have to preach in such a way that people realize I'm lost before you could ever get them truly saved. You know, I got saved when I was 10, and I really, truly got born again. But if all I would have done was mouth a prayer after somebody else, not realizing what I was doing, with no conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment as a work of the Holy Spirit in my life, then all I would have done was to have mimicked what I heard somebody else say. I could have grown up for years and years thinking I was saved because I did that, when really I wasn't. I told you open the can of worms. You need to make sure your kids are born again. Your grandchildren are born again. You need to make sure that you're born again. I know salvation is not as fragile. A fra- fragile. That's a, I added a syllable there. Nick's laughing at me because I was just talking about somebody that does that. This morning on the way to church. Your salvation isn't that the way it is. One reaps what one sows. (laughs) But I know salvation is not as fragile (laughs) as maybe some of us were taught. I grew up in the free will Baptist tradition. We were Baptists, but we weren't Calvinists. And, And people in our circles believed that you could be saved Sunday morning, but you could die and go to hell Sunday night because you might have said something or done something. So for us, Salvation was so fragile, we didn't hardly know if we were saved or not saved. And people would literally make prayer requests, pray for me that I'll hold out true and faithful because they weren't sure they were going to make it. So we see what what I've just described here in the last few minutes is extremes. The truth's in the middle. The truth's in the middle. Amen. And so we need to understand that uh, we don't need dead religion. And it's not just going to church and getting it over with so we can enjoy the other 160-some hours in the week doing what we want to do and think, well, it's okay because we're all going to go to heaven in the end. You just better make sure. Peter said, make your calling and election sure. Why would he say that if it wasn't needful? Praise the Lord. It is quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. (laughs) 
Let all things be done decently and in order. That's what we're trying to teach about. What is the order of the Spirit? How do we follow the Holy Ghost? God is a God of order. We see that in creation. We see that in the structure of the way the solar system operates. All the things on earth that are so fine-tuned and planned down to the very nth degree. We understand that God is a God of order and planning. And he is now, at present, dealing with men on the earth who are limited by their flesh and by their minds. The fall threw a wrench in everything. And God's answer to that and God's remedy for that was to send Jesus as the last Adam, get this thing taken care of, pay the price that needed to be paid, get us back to a place where through faith in Christ we could be born again by the Holy Ghost and that we could be in right relationship with God and we could be restored where, spiritually speaking, we are now actually seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's a wonderful thing. The problem we have is we're still bound in this physical body and also a problem that we bring to faith in Christ, everybody does, is that you bring your past information and baggage with you. Years ago, when I worked a secular job before I was full-time in ministry, people knew I was a minister, and so they, sometimes people would want to talk about spiritual things. Well, that's good. That, that's really good. But what I noticed was that people brought their opinions and ideas that they had gotten from the Lord only knows where. And even some of those people would want to discuss Bible topics and subjects, and, and they were saved, they were born again. But you could tell they brought all that baggage of even stuff they thought they believed and knew before they got saved, they brought it back, I mean, they brought it over into the church. And though they were spiritually changed, their mind wasn't yet changed. And I'm telling you, people have some of the squirreliest ideas you've ever heard. It's amazing. And, and so that's why the Bible, everybody say the Bible. This is not just some preacher saying this, but the Bible tells us we need to renew our mind, Romans 12, 3. And that's not God's responsibility. He's not going to do it for you. He'll give you the tools. He'll give you the words. That will change your mind, change your thinking, and change your life. But he's not going to change your mind for you. When you got born again, your body didn't change and your mind didn't change. When I got born again, for those who may be wondering, I had a head full of blonde hair. You see what pastoring will do for you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding because that, that, I shouldn't have said that. I love what I do. But uh, my, my body didn't get born again. A Christian's body will engage in ungodly activity if you let it. My mind didn't change. I knew that something had happened spiritually. I knew I was born again. I had the assurance of my salvation when I received Jesus. But my mind concerning what I believed and what the Word said and my attitudes about life and my attitudes about who I was in Christ, that didn't come until I began to apply myself to the Word of God. And that's one reason it's important to, to regularly feed on the Word and have your mind renewed. You need to always go to a church where they are feeding you spiritually. And I've said this for decades, and I'll say it again today. 
if there's another place in central Virginia where you particularly are more ministered to and you're fed better, then you have my blessing. Go to that place. Tell me where it is. I'm interested. I really am. And I'm, I mean that sincerely. God knows my heart. I don't want you to take second best. I don't want you to settle. You know, over the years as a pastor, like I said, you hear lots of things. And one of the things I've heard from people over the years is, well, there's just nowhere else to go. You know, that just makes you feel so good. <laughs> that just makes you feel so good as a pastor when somebody is in essence telling you, I wish I could go somewhere else to church. But, you know, I haven't found anywhere any better. It's kind of sad. <laughs> Pray for me. But, you know, uh, uh, it's true. You, it, it's too important. It's too important. Your future depends, as a believer, your future depends on you getting your mind renewed properly to the Word of God. Because wrong thinking produces wrong believing, and wrong believing will nullify results and forfeit results that you should have from God. I grew up in churches where we believed God could heal, but we never. I mean, I went to church... My parents got saved when I was about five years old, and we've been faithful to church all those years. I mean, I've been going to church now for, you know, regularly for like 59 years of my life almost. And uh, I thank God for that. But I can tell you, uh, I'm, uh, I can tell you that uh, I went to church for years and never heard one message on divine healing in the redemptive work of Jesus. Not one time. Never heard one message telling me who I am in Christ. Never heard one message on the confession of faith where healing is concerned or finances are concerned. I never heard one... I went to church for years and never heard one message on tithing that I remember anyway. And what you don't know from the Bible, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Somebody said, well, I believe I'm going to get to heaven in the end, but what are you going to have to go through before you get there? If you don't know the word and if you don't live by faith. And here's the big thing too. It's, it's you know, not necessarily bigger than the others, but it's important. How's your Christian life going to be if you're never where there's a flow and a move of the supernatural power of God in the Holy Ghost? I mean, whatever the name is over the door, whether it's called Pentecostal or charismatic or, you know, non-denominational or whatever, I, you know, uh, you know, the churches seem like nowadays they're always changing their name. I don't know why they think that's going to help anything. I think more important than changing your name might be changing your doctrine, changing your practice, changing your schedule, changing something that's going to work. Most people don't care what name's over the door. They want to know what's inside. Amen? So no matter what you call yourself, if you're never where there's a flow of the Spirit, and I, I know that not every Sunday people run. Not every Sunday uh, is going to be the same. And I'm not saying that every time you come to church you need to, to praise so physically, demonstratively that you work up a sweat and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you never are affected and touched by the move of the Holy Spirit, you're in the wrong place. And any church 
that will not allow the Holy Spirit to be the master of ceremonies of their services is missing God. And any pastor that's a party to that is shortchanging his people. Amen. I know that's a bold statement, but it's true. It's true. Amen. So God is a God of order and planning, dealing with men limited by their flesh and their minds. And he's also a God of faith who says in his word, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we have to walk by faith. It is a requirement. It's not a suggestion. It's necessary. We walk by faith, not by sight. And so what, we, what that means is, and in this whole process, we are all walking out our service. We're all walking out our ministry service. We're all walking out our place in the body of Christ. And it takes time and going one step at a time, learning how to follow and flow with the move and the way of the Spirit. And so what we want to do is find out from the Word, what did they do in the early church? What did a Pentecostal church look like? What did they do? And let's go to Acts 2. Now, I I, I want to talk to you about Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 13, but don't get nervous. We're not going to go all there today. This is as far as we will get, and we may not finish this one. But in the book of Acts, chapter 2, would everybody turn there with me, please? I know you're familiar with it. You've heard it. I've read from this passage. I don't know how many times even during this series because this is like the 10th or 11th one uh, in the series. Thankfully, that's a good thing about being a pastor. I don't have to get it all done in three days and leave. I get to come back. Amen. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, verse 1, They were all with one accord in one place. Now, if you'll um, if you'll uh, let's see here, go back to verse thirteen of chapter one, and then we'll skip back to chapter two. But go back to verses thirteen and fourteen of chapter one, because it gives us a picture of what was going on prior to the day of Pentecost. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Verse 14 is important. These all continued with one accord. These all continued in unity, in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 again. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. Notice that word again. In one place. <coughs> Excuse me. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the way it happened originally. This is the way that it happened. Now, there are some key words that describes what they were doing that are keys to today. They're keys to church today. The first word... Is obedience. They were, they were tarrying, they were waiting because that's what Jesus told them to do. It was Samuel the prophet who told Saul, the first king of Israel, 
that to obey is better than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. We just shorten it by saying obedience is better than sacrifice. There is no way I don't have a vocabulary that can adequately express to you how important it is to obey God, even in the little things. A lot of people think if God told me to do something big, I'd do it, but they're missing him on little things. And the truth is, if you miss the little things, you'll miss the big things. One thing will happen is there'll be big things you won't even know about. Why would God bother you if you're not listening to him about not eating the third piece of pie or you know, giving the extra $20 or helping somebody in need or you know, being nice to your wife or husband? Amen. Obedience. Number two, prayer. One of, one of a great compliment to this church that was given to me the other day that I want to pass along, especially to Brother and Sister Cooper and to all the prayer team especially, they, they, said, they said, you guys have an open door. Well, I didn't know exactly for, at the moment what he was talking about. I thought he was talking about the hospitality of the people, the opening, the fellowship, the welcoming, and which is very much a part of this church as well. And you're to be commended for that. And lots of people were blessed by it in the last week. But he saw I was not catching what he said. He said, a door of utterance. He said, there's some people praying here. I said, yeah. You see, sometimes prayer is not the most uh, obvious thing. We always pray ahead of ourselves if we pray in the Holy Ghost. In other words, what you're enjoying today is a product of prayers of the past. And what we're going to have and do and be in the future is going to depend on today's prayers. And so these people laid a foundation of prayer. And then number three, one accord. Not talking about they all drove a Honda. One accord. (laughs) Amen. They, They were in unity. Now, I believe you could agree and see this as a, as a valid point that this is not talking about natural unity per se. Uh, it doesn't mean they all like the same clothes or maybe all preferred the same dessert or wanted their house furnished or laid out in a certain way. It's not that kind of a thing. This is not a carnal thing. This is not everybody wearing the same hairdo, everybody wearing the same clothes, everybody driving the same car living in the same house. That's not what it's about. It's about being in unity where the things of God are concerned. Regardless of your age, regardless of your income, regardless of your social status, regardless of your educational background, we are in unity when we get to the house of God. And so whether you're a millionaire or you've got $10, we all worship together in the spirit and in truth. Whether you've got a PhD or whether you've just got... Uh, you know, a high school diploma, or not even that. We're all in unity when it comes to hungering and desiring the things of the Spirit. Then notice this other thing. We've already said a lot about it, really, uh, if you put it together, what I've already said to you this morning, but they were all in one place. We might say it this way. They were in the right place. Jesus' hometown was uh, Capernaum. He didn't say, go to my hometown and wait. Such a nice place. It's down by the sea. I've been there once. 
And it is beautiful. It's, a, it's, a, you know, it's amazing. The Sea of Galilee is very beautiful to see. He didn't say go there. He said you go to Jerusalem. And so they were all in the upper room. They were all waiting. That was God's agenda. And that brings us to the next uh, word, or two words. They all had one agenda. Obedience, prayer, unity, the right place with one unified agenda. They were not in church to make themselves look good. They weren't in church to please people. They didn't come just because somebody badgered them. And, you know, they came because they wanted to be there. They came out of obedience, and God met them supernaturally. He met them supernaturally. Now, Psalm chapter 133 and verse 1, if I can find it very quickly, gives us some more insight into this whole thing of unity, being together, being in the right frame of mind. Psalm 133.1 is a, a psalm of David, and he says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then he goes on to elaborate. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. And if you know the story, that was a special anointing oil, that it was illegal for anybody in Israel to even copy anything like it. It was a sanctified, holy anointing oil. And it was poured on Aaron's head. And they didn't just smear it on, because that is one way that that's one of the definitions of the word anoint. They didn't just smear it on, though, they poured it on him. And it ran down his head, down his beard, and on to the skirts of his garment. And it signified that he is set apart, sanctified, and anointed for the purpose of being God's high priest. He was the one and only person in the whole nation that could go in once a year to the holiest of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, in that cube of a room with all those heavy coverings over it, with no light in there except the glory of God over the mercy seat. The only person in all of Israel that would have been able to see that on a year-to-year basis would have been the high priest. You can just imagine his children, his grandchildren, whoever the high priest would have been uh, in addition to Aaron later on. You can imagine his children, his grandchildren, his wife, his neighbors, people wanting to know, what is that like? What does it look like? What's it like to be in the presence of the glory of God? Woo, hallelujah. And what I want to tell you today is that we are in that presence. That glory moved out of that box. That glory moved out of that earthly tabernacle. And God dwells in you. In you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So if you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Ghost, you know the move in the way of God and you've sensed the presence of God, you know something about what it was like to be in that room. And we're encouraged to come boldly to the throne of grace. He goes on to say in verse 3, It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. And notice in this place of unity, where the anointing comes in power and fullness, it says, For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. Just one more reason why it's important to be where the glory is, where the power is. And we don't get there without unity. We don't get there with, 
bickering, backbiting, and criticisms, and, 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 and putting our personal preferences out in front of what God wants to do. We get there by submission. We get there by saying, Lord, it's not my service, it's yours. Not every service goes the way I necessarily would want it to go. Some of them, actually, I know this is going to surprise you, some of them go longer than I would want them to go in the physical. But it's not about me. Sometimes I have to make myself get out of bed. This morning I was fully awake about 5 o'clock in the morning. That's wonderful. I like that. Get out of the bed, start praying, talking to the Lord. That's good. Make some coffee. But some mornings I need a stick of dynamite to get me out of the bed, it feels like. So it's not about feelings. Some days you're not going to feel like going to church. As a matter of fact, the more you yield to that, the more you won't feel like going. And that's when people start saying, well, you know, the Lord knows my heart. Yeah, he knows you're lazy. And he knows you're not spiritual. And he also knows this. The devil's setting you up to take you further than you want to go. And when the tragedy comes, when the mess happens, then you're going to want somebody that does know God to pray you out of it. And sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. Woo! I didn't really come here to say all of that. Well, I did come, but I didn't plan to say it all. One other scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.13, um, 2 Cor- Chronicles 5.13, and here's where we quit today. And somebody remind me for next week, Matt, it's your job, take this note, next week to make sure that I tell everybody about um, jet planes and 2,000 years ago. Now, don't go crazy. I don't believe they had jet planes 2,000 years ago, but there's a reason I put that together. You'll see. Amen. All right. Second Chronicles. Let me find that. Second Chronicles chapter 5. Now, in Second Chronicles 5, it's the account of Solomon finishing. He's finished the temple that he built. <coughs> the temple that David so desperately wanted to build but was not allowed to do so because of being such a man of blood in his life. And particularly, I think that must have had to do with the blood of Uriah the Hittite that he had killed in battle to take his wife, whom he had impregnated by adultery. And you think you got problems. It's, oh, the mercy of God, the grace of God. But it cost him in more ways than one. And uh, even though he was forgiven by the Lord. But anyway, Solomon had finished the temple And uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 says, So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold. We know that that that, that was, you know, David had given over a billion dollars personally. His mighty men had given over two billion dollars. It was nothing but the best for God's house. And all the furnishings. And he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. So they are moving the Ark of the Covenant, which had been in the tabernacle in this, what's called Zion, and they were bringing it up onto what's now we would know as the Temple Mount, where that original temple was built. So there's a procession. That's being made. And it's a transition from the old to the new. From, from the Ark of the Covenant, and the mercy seat, being in a tent 
to a place of permanence, as least as you know, far as man would be concerned, saying. And so it says, Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Don't you wonder if there was somebody standing by the side who said, I think this is unnecessary. This is a waste. Why didn't they just put all those animals in a pen and kill them one at a time when they needed them? It's easy to get the wrong idea. It's easy to have a bad attitude. It's easy to get sideways with God. You don't want to get crossways with God when it comes to worship. You don't want to get crossways with God when it comes to his house, when it comes to the ministry, when it comes to the gospel preached to all the world. God is extravagantly generous in fulfilling his purposes in the earth. And those who will help him, he will cause you to be able to also be extravagantly generous. Hallelujah. Then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside, and they are there to this day. That's the date of this writing, of course. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb. We don't know what happened to the rod that Aaron had that had budded or to the manna that had been stored in there. We don't know what happened to it. But all at this point that was left was the two tablets of stone that Moses had gotten from God The Ten Commandments, we call it. When the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. And it came to pass, now here, get this very closely. Guys, if you all will, you can come on up here. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place. For all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites who were the singers, all those of Asaph, and Heman and Jeduthun, these are three major uh, people involved with the ministry of praise and worship that constantly went on in the worship of the Lord. And their sons and their brethren stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen. Nobody needs to be on the platform doing worship and praise if they're not holy. That's right. That's right. You, you, you want to get in trouble with God? Be a hypocrite in church. He said, I'd rather you'd be cold as lukewarm. This is a big deal. It really is important. Clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps. And with them, 120 priests sounding with trumpets. How many of you think that's probably loud? Just saying. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one. Notice the word, one. To make one sound to be heard 
in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord. That's what that cloud was. The glory of the Lord filled the house of God. That's what Pentecostal services are about. Is the glory of God coming in among the people of God to the point where sometimes even people can't stand up. Sometimes you don't get to sing all your songs. Sometimes you don't get to do everything you thought you would do because the glory of God has manifested. I want you to stand on your feet with me today and we're going to sing this chorus a time or two. And this is our prayer. This is our confession before God as a church. Amen.